We thank you, and Lord, help us to learn from your word tonight, and Lord, that you would encourage us in our service for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Make false claims to possessing that salvation. There is a message from God as we looked at the story of Jehoshaphat and King Ahab, and and found out that there is a false message and false prophets uh, there is a difference between Jesus and the Pharisees, Sadducees, those that taught the Bible in his day. The, they held the same book in their hand, but Jesus taught as one that had authority, and of course they did not. And what we said is there's only one protection from Falsehood, and that is the Word of God. That's why we've got to spend time with this Bible, and and I hope to spend a couple of uh, of the lessons here dealing with uh, the uh, uh, the Bible and how to understand it. But uh, tonight, what we're going to try to do in a very summary fashion is deal with. Uh, the essence of what we're all talking about, the uh, truth or imitation, the person and presence of God. Uh, there is, uh, let's just, this isn't actually in your outline. You can mark the verse down. If you don't have it memorized, it's just simply because you haven't been around here long enough. Uh, I think that uh, it wouldn't take long to memorize this verse, just listening to it quoted in uh, in our services, but Hebrews chapter 11, 6, let's all just turn there and we need to understand a little bit about God uh, because the Bible tells us that there are many false gods, many false Christs, and uh, one t- people often say, how come we have so many religions when we all serve the same God? Well, the truth of the matter is we don't all serve the same God. He's very different, the gods that man hath created and religion has developed. And uh, yet, here's what the Bible says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. Now, if you want to know who him is, look at the next phrase. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, we are given two characteristics or two parameters for God. Number one, he is. If your God at one time wasn't, it's not the God of the Bible. Uh, There are so many uh, uh, gods in this world that people worship and... and, uh, They talk about uh, them, and of course you go back to the mythology of the ancient days. And I mean, who was who was there before Zeus was? Uh, Ra was the sun god. Uh, Does that mean that the sun eternally exists? Uh, In the uh, Egyptian mind, that was certainly uh, the case. And yet, the Bible tells us that God simply is: no beginning, no end. Uh, no point of origin, no development into God. God was never any less than He currently is and never will be any more 
than he currently is or was. God is the same yesterday, today, forever. God does not change, but here's the thing. And this is what makes the God of the Bible so different than all the other gods. He is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. God is, and God is good. How many gods out there that does the world know about that are not good? Uh, if you, you know, the, the end thing now is all of these Hindu gods and everything is uh, about karma and all of that kind of stuff. And, and yet we find that the, those gods, some of them are cruel and vicious and, and their whole character is uh, warlike and destruction and 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 so we we come to the Bible and we're we're going to just summarize really uh, the entire Bible. Let's just go to the book of Genesis, if you would, and uh, let's just start at the beginning. Amen. Genesis chapter one and verse one. In the beginning, God. So, what we have here is, before time began, God already was. In the beginning, when everything that we know about began, God already was. And what does it say? He created the heaven and the earth. Now, people like to take uh, verse 2 and simply say, well, God created the heaven and the earth, and then something terrible happened, and the earth became without form and void. And, and, and uh, that explains the very ancient uh, timing of the world. Well, listen, we do not adapt our Bible. Uh, had a little fun. My wife and I were just out for dinner, and we got walking around looking in, and uh, I saw these beautiful pocket knives, Damascus steel, if you know what that is. It's a laminated steel. It's uh, very beautiful. It's an old, uh, goes back to uh, several uh, millennia ago where man started learning how to make steel. And, and, and so I said, oh, let's just go look at those and went in and there's just a little pocket knife. And the cheapest one in the cabinet was $1,200. And the most expensive one was like $5,000. And I'm sitting there going, this is incredible. What? You know, you can, you can get Damascus knives for $100. And, and, oh, no. There's a 10 million year old dinosaur tooth that has been uh, 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 polished into the handle of this knife. And uh, I just looked and I said... No, it's not. And she said, oh, yes, it is. We have the certification. I said, no, you don't understand. The whole place is only 6,000 years old. And, uh, 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 and so I figured I'd better leave well enough alone and walked out. But um, just toying with people's minds. It's not billions and billions of years. In the beginning, God created it's, it's an amazing thing to me 
how people look and think. No one in their right mind would think that this pulpit got here by accident or this building was built by mistake. Every brick was laid in, in order in these walls. And, and, if, and if it weren't done that way, then we would not be meeting in the building today. It would have fallen apart if it had not been done correctly. And yet, the universe and all of the detail that goes into the universe... Uh, I could just spend the whole night here, but our sun is beyond nuclear energy and the explosions are timed to millions of a second. And if that order of explosions were to somehow even variate in the, in, in the slightest degree, a, a, a timed, like I said, to the millionth of a second... The sun would put itself out in one cataclysmic burst of energy that would destroy every living thing on earth. And yet, for all of these thousands of years of history, it has given us just enough heat to keep us comfortable and to keep life existent. Unless you're a global warming freak, uh, then you think it's too much, but... Uh, it's not man-made. It comes from the sun. It's just so simple that God is the creator. And if God is the creator, I mean, I hope and pray you recognize that when someone creates something, that they have certain rights to what they've created. In America, we call that copyright laws. Or if you're an inventor of a machine, it's called a patent or, or a drug or something like that where you are given the exclusive rights as the creator of this project, writer of this book, producer of this movie or play. And, and that's why when you put on your, uh, 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 well, um, I almost said VHS tape, but... Uh, <laughs> Most people don't do that anymore. It's now your Blu-ray disc. You get up that little thing and it says $250,000 fine for illegal copying and pirating of this information. Why? Because the people that go in and spend all that money to make those movies have a right to own what they've created. Well, how come we won't allow that God to have rights what he created it's just a simple yet a little different way of looking and understanding about who God is it, as the creator this universe belongs to him he has certain rights as the creator over his creation and part of that is ownership and yet, if we read Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, And God said, Let us, plural, make man in our plural image. 
and let him have dominion. And it talked about the things that are here on earth. God as a creator ordained an order. And this is the God of the Bible. Now, let's skip down to point two, point A, and talk about the false gods, the gods that are man's creation, the gods uh, that, uh, the God of this world. The first thing that everybody knows about God or gods or demigods or uh, any of these things is they all have great power. I mean, even the Avengers have great power, right? If you're into comic books or uh, those kinds of things. Uh, We have all of these, quote-unquote, superheroes uh, that can stretch themselves or make themselves disappear or run super fast or uh, travel through space, whatever floats your boat, okay? Um, But the thing that is different is if any of these gods, quote-unquote, exercise their power, it's not to the benefit of the creation. I mean, we have... uh, you, You pick your god, you pick your story. The god of this Bible makes it rain on the just and the unjust, doesn't he? The same sun rises on Donald Trump as it does on Hillary Clinton if she goes outside at that time of the day. Amen? Uh, The same sun gives warmth and life to everything that lives on earth. And yet, we look at the inventions of man's kind and we either have this great tyrant that must be appeased and by the way, that goes for the God of the Orthodox Church just at the same as it goes for the tribal paganist, uh, the tribal worship where they're appeasing the spirits. And uh, the Catholic Church has the same idea that God has to be pleased and I have to do things to please Him. How many of you remember living under that authority of, uh, uh, of trying to be good enough to please God? And, and God must be pleased and He's a cruel God. Or we have this passive do-nothing God. The God of the evolutionist who winds up the world and lets it go. And where, where do we get this? The Bible tells us that God is, and that God is good. How many of these gods, and we'll touch on this a little later, need our help? I mean, I'm not trying to be overly offensive or needlessly offensive, but if the God of Islam were truly so great, why does he need men dressed as women wrapped in bomb vests to defend him? If he were really that great, why cannot his servants meet the world on the field of honest and open battle and win? Uh, They can't. They've had some success back in the 600s and 700s over certain little areas and 
and some success against the crusaders and, and things, but if Islam were really that great, if he were really that great of a God, why does he depend upon his people to defend him? The God of this Bible has never raised an army to protect him. In fact, he was the protector of the armies of the children of Israel, if you'll read them. If you'll read the story, it's completely the opposite. It was Napoleon that actually made the note while he was sitting there uh, in his final exile uh, in the South Atlantic Ocean that Jesus Christ had the most powerful army in the world and not a one of them ever held a weapon. And so we look at this God who is a creator, who is good, who wants to have a relationship with mankind. The Bible says that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I know this is nothing new, but we need to understand that the imitation God, they come pretty close. And many people who call themselves Christians are willing to accept a God less than the God of the Bible. And that's a terrifying thought. The, the one that just makes the absolute least sense to me, some of you will remember uh, a few years ago when uh, they claimed to find the tomb of Jesus. Does anybody remember that? And all they made a big deal about it. And and this one, quote-unquote, preacher came out. He was some Protestant something or other. And supposed to be highly respected and a spokesman for his whatever it is that he was a part of. And he said, even if they found the bones of Jesus, that would not destroy my faith. Excuse me. The Bible says he is risen. And if he is not risen, then this entire book is a lie and everything we believe is foolishness and there's absolutely no hope for this world in which we live. That's what the Bible says. You see, they're not going to find the bones of Jesus for they are not there. He is is risen as he said. You see, we need to understand something. The God of this Bible is. He is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. He is the creator. He made man in his image. We are not God's. We are in his image. We're in his image. And we study this thing out and we'll find out that we, we left that. We go to point B under one and we go to Genesis chapter, the end of Genesis chapter two. Uh, God gives man some direction. In verse uh, 15, it says, the Lord God took, and the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. So, God put, planted a garden, 
And the Garden of Eden was a place, it was a real place. God put every beautiful thing that He had created in this garden and He put man in the garden. He was to dress it and to keep it. Now, a dresser is someone that would gather the harvest. You see, it was a perfect place. The fruit never rotted. If you didn't pick the fruit, the tree would never have an opportunity to produce more. And so Adam's job was to gather that harvest and and to make it easier for the animals and the other beings there to get it. He was to keep the garden. There weren't weeds and there there weren't uh, uh, parasites and all of these things and bugs that killed the trees. Uh, Adam was to make it look beautiful. How many of you have ever been to a botanical or sculptured garden? I mean, they're incredible, are they not? And I mean, you just see all the diversity of plants. And, uh, and, and man has done some pretty interesting things. And that's what God wanted Adam to do. He wanted Adam to make the garden beautiful. To keep it. To dress it. Adam had enough work to keep him busy his entire life if... He hadn't disobeyed. And then God made one other rule. He said, verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. So God establishes his first contact with man as a lawgiver, and in Genesis chapter 3, we know the story, as a judge. How does the false gods of man line up to that? Well, we have two basic approaches. We have the agnostic approach, that God is, he's this God of great being, but you cannot know him. And so, therefore, his laws are not applicable to us because there is no way that God has made to communicate with man. We can't know him. He doesn't know us. He doesn't care. And so we can do whatever we want. Uh, That is the basic philosophy of our day and age, is it not? And then the second place that goes is the religionist. Oh, God exists, but you really can't know him unless... You listen to me. Um, As I was preparing this, I was just looking and I was trying to remember what those three great questions all the philosophy teachers ask. I think it was, uh, who am I, where did I come from, and where am I going, or something along those lines. And and this book came up and and it said, who is God, or, or, or what is the reason for my existence Is Christianity the true religion? And then the third question is, is the church of Jesus of the Latter-day Saints the true church? Now, how do you get there? Well, I'll tell you how you get there. Because you believe that the only way you can know about God is through the writings of a morally perverse criminal called Joseph Smith. And his underling, Brigham Young. 
and the descendants from that. And the reason why we call that is uh, him those things is because that's exactly the person that Joseph Smith was. He was immoral beyond comprehension, even for our day and time. And uh, he was killed because... He was put in jail for some of the things that he did and the men of that town were so angered and so incensed as his followers tried to break into the prison and uh, take him out of the prison that they executed and lynched Joseph Smith. And the writers of the Mormon faith have tried to make that very similar to what Jesus did. That's blasphemy, my friends. No one laid any crime at the feet of Jesus other than him being who he said he is. He was crucified because he claimed to be the Son of God. A claim that he substantiated on the third day when he rose again from the dead. Amen? And so you can see that these these things that are here and God, if we just go right into the book of Genesis and we talk about God's law, His Ten Commandments are still the greatest and simplest laws known to mankind. God introduced Himself to Moses as I am that I am. God led His people out of slavery through all of the great miracles and we're going through those things in our Sunday school time. And God took time in Exodus through Deuteronomy to explain in great and living detail how sinful man could approach unto God. God made it very simple. There was a priesthood. There was a tabernacle. There was a way to approach God. Then we come down here and we go through the rest of the books, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st, 2nd Samuel, and we could stop at each book and we learn something about God. I love the little book of Ruth because we see that in the book of Joshua, God stopped at Jericho to add Rahab the harlot to Israel into the line of David. And her son, Rahab's son, would marry Ruth, the Moabitess, a people whom God said unto the tenth generation they could not enter the children of Israel because of their sin and their willful hatred against God and His Word. And we go through and we find King David and we find all the disobedience And yet God's forgiveness, and we go through the prophets as they've stood there and rebuked the people. And then we come to Matthew chapter 1. Why don't we take a moment and turn there. Matthew chapter 1. Verse 23. Behold, a virgin shall be with child, shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God 
with us. Verse 21. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. We learn about a Savior. We learn about the God-man. The one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus, who died to pay the price for our sins. That's what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is all about. Every part of this book called the Bible teaches us something about God. Amen? We learn. And if, if you don't learn one thing from the Bible, it's just because you haven't spent enough time there, is God's patience with mankind. For centuries, He put up with Israel. And they're serving Him and not serving Him, having a good king and then a bad king. Uh, being in captivity 70 years and bringing them back, having uh, the temple rebuilt, and then all of the terrible things that Nehemiah had to straighten out. And then Nehemiah spends a couple of years back in uh, uh, the capital there with the Persian king, and he comes back and he's pulling his hair out over all the evil that has gone on, literally. And, and so, we, we look here and we see God's Savior. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. As we get to Acts chapter 2, we find out the empowering of the church. And we learn about the church. And we'll spend a whole night on the church. Because there's a lot of imitation churches out there. Churches with the right name and false doctrine. Churches with false doctrine and false names. I mean, there's just no end to it. But the Bible tells us that Jesus wants to be intimately involved with His church. In fact, much more than any normal relationship that we would talk about. He talks about the connection inside the human body between the head of the body and the different organs and members of the body, that is how the church is supposed to function. As we're going through our discipleship on Sunday nights, those that are in that class, we just finished with, with the church. And the church functions as a body. Every direction is supposed to come from Jesus Christ. He makes our life decisions for us according to His Word. If We'll only follow Him. I want to ask you, what parallel is there outside the Bible in the world in which we live? I want to tell you there isn't. There's people out there that will tell you how to live and they'll take your paychecks. Uh, sometimes we call them communists. Other times we call them religious cultists. Uh, but they all have the same basic principle involved. You give me everything. Uh, sometimes they're called Democrats. I'm sorry. Uh, but they, they want to take everything that you have so that it'll be fair. Now, when I tell you, you know, when someone takes everything everybody has, the only person it's fair for is the person who takes it all. And those that used to live in Soviet Russia, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, and it seemingly that way, uh, in, even in American politics here. 
we get to Revelation chapters 2 and 3 and we have letters to the churches. Jesus is instructing His churches how to behave. And then we go to Revelation chapter 4 and we go through the end of the book of Revelation and we find out that this whole world is going to be turned upside down and Jesus is going to make things right and He's going to come and rule and reign for a thousand years. What other religion talks about that? You know, the closest one were the Catholics. They came up with this thing called post-millennialism. And this was their philosophy. It kind of died, and you'll understand why, just after the First World War. But until that point, this was a predominating theory among the, the Catholic theologians that the Catholic Church would come to a point where it would rule the world and it would make a perfect society so perfect that as the pope would rule, as popes would rule and reign for a thousand years then Jesus would come at the end of that time and end everything because man would have reached total perfection for a time of a thousand years under the rulership and world domination of the popes people were smiling See, nobody really believed that. Well, the Mormons actually do one better. Uh, They say that not only will you have your own people to rule and judge, you'll have your own planet. And uh, just like Earth, and it'll be your world to be the God of. And, uh, of course, they don't say that out loud too much anymore because most people look at them and start snickering because it's just absolutely absurd. Only people from NASA believe that there are life on other planets. And, and of course, those that listen to late-night radio. And uh, we have to be careful about that stuff. But here's what the Bible says. In order for God to straighten out everything on this earth, so that he can come and rule and reign. The battle of Armageddon is going to have to be fought where God, where Jesus Christ himself defeats all the armies and the strength of mankind. If you want to learn anything about this book called the Bible, from this book called the Bible, you need to understand that God has proven. We put man in the perfect environment, He messes it up. We let man to his own devices. And we have the story of Noah's Ark where the world got so bad that God had to send a flood. Well then, God institutes human government. And that corrupts itself to the point to where God chooses one family and one nation and one people to bring the truth to the world in which we live. And we have the story of the history of Israel And then we have the great Savior coming and consummating the salvation work of God in the person of Jesus Christ, that whosoever will, both Jew and Gentile, can believe on Him. And still things degenerate to the point to where the battle of Armageddon is fought and Jesus Christ Himself comes down and sits upon earth. That's the history of mankind as taught in the Bible. And it agrees with what we know and what we understand. 
And yet, I want you to turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. Excuse me. 1 John chapter 4. And let's uh, start reading in verse 6. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us, and he that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Behold, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Verse 16, And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. What is the main motivation of most religion in this world? Could we say fear? How many of you remember the fear that was in your church as you went and you were told, if you don't do this, bad things are going to happen to you. If you will do what we tell you, then good things are going to happen to you. It doesn't always work that way, now does it? The Bible tells us sometimes God allows things to happen to us but he, that are not pleasant, that are not nice, but He has a purpose and He will guide and direct us if we'll continue to believe that He is and He's the rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Amen? You see, the God of the Bible is love. The God of this world is the greatest tyrant. And the strongest chains are not necessarily those of cruelty and torture, they're usually the ones of inward anxiety. How many of you used to believe that if you were good enough, you could please God? And let me ask you a question. How good is enough? You see, you never know. It's always a battle. Well, I did this and I did that. And I, and, but how do I really know? Mother Teresa, probably the uh, greatest example in our lifetimes of someone whose life was dedicated to good works. I mean, helping people is good works. And on her deathbed, she said, I didn't do enough. And yet she dedicated her entire life to just helping other people. It shows you the tyranny of this God of this world, of the God that man has invented. A God that demands us to help him out rather than being the one that helps us. A God that is subject to only a few enlightened people while the rest of the world perish in ignorance and foolishness. That's the God of this world. Everything we've talked about tonight 
you can go home and you can open the pages of this book. If you've read through your Bible more than once, everything I said, said, well, Pastor, I know that. Pastor, I, I, yes, yes, I agree. Why are we making such a big point? And the reason we are is simply this. Many times, because of former things that we've been exposed to or because of all of the uh, noise in our society today that we have a tendency to treat the God of this Bible just like the world treats the gods of their own making. And that's what we need to be careful about. We can get so lost in God's love and forgiveness that we forget about His holiness. God didn't. That's why His love and His holiness meant at an old rugged cross. Can we say amen to that? You see, the God of this Bible is supreme to anything that man has trying to figure out. We can divide religion, world religion into two categories, basically. One is those that believe that God will somehow just find a way to forget everybody's sins and he'll, everything will be all right. And then the other approach is that God is only limiting his love to a select few. And then they fight over how you become one of the select few. And one of the amazing things about Calvinism is they believe that God only loves the elect, but they can't tell you how to become an elect. And they don't even know whether they're elect or not themselves. They've finally moved to a more logically honest position uh, of uh, Calvinism uh, has always taught that once you're saved, you're always saved. But, you see, they don't know how you get saved. And they don't know, you can't know if you're one of the elect because that's God's business, not yours. And he hasn't written it down anywhere and so you can't know. How in the world could you match that kind of thinking with the Bible? And what we must do as we go through, and I hope not all of them will be quite this uh, redundant of things that we already know, but we have to understand the existence of God because there's so many imitations out there. And the one warning that we need to take as we look at this All of those people that believe they're saved and are not believe with all their heart that they're serving God His way. Or that they are serving the true God when they're not. And if there is that much deception in this world, and the Bible tells us there is, then we need to take just a little bit of time and evaluate the God that we worship. He is the Creator. He is the lawgiver. He is the judge. He is the savior. He is the coming king. And the God of this Bible is love. How much, I want to spend a lesson. I want you to pray for me as we develop these. Uh, 
want to spend a whole lesson on love. How much imitation love is in this world we have today? How many hugs and kisses are done with knives drawn? I mean, come on. And it all starts with an imitation God. You see, an imitation God gives you permission to imitate anything you want because now everything is under your jurisdiction. If you're going to stick with the real God, everything is outlined in the Scripture. And we have to surrender ourselves to the authority of this book. And all God's people said, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight. Lord, I just ask that you would help us. That you would open our eyes to see the difference between the false gods that man have developed, made, or aspire to even be themselves. Compared with the one true God that is revealed in Holy Scripture. Lord, I pray that you would teach us and you would help us. And Lord, not a one of us would be satisfied with anything but the truth. In Jesus' name we pray. And as we finish the service tonight, just have a moment.